0: Uh, I mean... I guess. I mean, I... <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, hello pod people and welcome to the Big Bad Nonsense Podcast. I am Sock and I'm here with my friend from across the Atlantic, Biscuit. How are you doing today, Biscuit? Uh, a
0: little early, but otherwise well, sir. Thank you.
1: All right, we've got an excellent show ready for you today. We're going to be talking a little bit about hollow earth theories. Uh, intriguing, uh, what do you know about Hollow Earth Theory is Biscuit? Uh, not
0: as, well, I'm not sure if not as much as I should, is even the right answer here because I don't know how much time I should invest into it, but, um, I'm aware of it and there's a couple of flaws. Yeah? Those being? It doesn't work in <laughs> any medium whatsoever. But I'm sure you'll get into that and much more depth for us going in. Um, I also have a story for us as well today. It is going to be one that in the sports world is pretty infamous over on this side of the pond. The famous Tencent Beer Night may not be as well known to you, but we'll tap on that as well. So a little bit of something for everybody, providing they're not a minor today. All
1: right. I can tell from the title it already sounds like something rather disastrous. Uh, But hey, let's just jump right into uh, what we're going to talk about today. So this story I think is particularly interesting because it starts off with an American doctor from New York influencing Nazi science programs. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So that's, that's a strange jump right off from the start, I think, right? To start with an American doctor and then end with a Nazi, Nazi science program. I mean... If,
0: yeah, if I were um, back when this was going on, I would have some loyalty
1: questions, yeah. Well, the thing is that the person in question, you know, who started this whole theory, he died long before the Nazis existed. So as a <laughs> state of loyalty, you know, it, it, it doesn't... Uh, Doesn't really feed into it as much as just him being an influence, really. Which is, you know, bizarre enough if you think about it. Still a dick. (laughs) So, have you ever heard of Cyrus Teed? I have heard the name.
0: Uh, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint it to anything specific.
1: Well, Douglas Arthur Teed is a bit more famous than he is. He was actually an American Impressionist painter. Uh, That's his son. Uh, So I don't know if you know much about the American art world or Impressionist painting, but uh, he would probably be a little bit more well-known to Americans than just the name Cyrus Teed.
0: Well, as a typical American, I can barely speak English. So the modern (laughs) art world, that's much more for cultures outside of us ourselves, generally speaking.
1: All right, simple enough. So Cyrus Teed is a doctor. He's a doctor from New York. Uh, born in 1839, uh, goes and studies and becomes a doctor. So, you know, right away, someone who's capable of getting a degree in medicine, you would think they'd have somewhat of a rational mind, wouldn't you? You would. You would, right? That would be, you know, the thing that you'd say, right? You know, they they have to have a, at least a little bit of a scientific mind, some sort of chemistry, some biology, Hopefully, anyway, right? Like, of course, we're still talking, like, you know, turn of the 20th century, like, just before the 20th century, so it's not all there yet.
0: Right. There's definitely some bad ideas going out, but you expect the foundation to have some sanity to it, yeah.
1: You, you would hope, anyway, if the you, guy's going right. to cut you open uh, or something like that, or going to be prescribing you drugs.
0: Yeah, if he cuts you open. He's like, whoa, look at all this shit.
1: <laughs> Like, he has to have the minimum knowledge of where those things go. right? But, of course, Cyrus Teed, Dr. Cyrus Teed, if you want, like, he was a little bit more eccentric. He also uh, was big into alchemy. Uh, This, most people think of alchemy, they think of, like, you know, turning lead into gold. You know, it did much more things, sort of like a pre-proto-scientific method, I guess, if you want. Uh, Mm. So, he was all big into turning lead into gold. Uh, as well as other things to do with alchemy. And he thought, well, you know, let's bring alchemy into the modern age. Let's start using electricity.
0: Okay, sure.
1: Yeah, Logical progression. Logical progression, I guess, yeah, right? Like, I guess if you're going to do, like, weird voodoo witchcraft sort of things, then, you know, you might as well use the tools that are available to you. And if the more modern things work, why not, right? Right. Yeah. So anyway, while doing alchemy with very high levels of electricity, he he shocked himself and lost consciousness, (laughs) which, Mm -hmm. yes. So, so, you know, go science right there. He's like, all right, let's do some alchemy. Shocked himself, lost consciousness, and uh, while he was unconscious, uh, he was visited by a divine spirit who told him that he was the (laughs) messiah.
0: Well, it's funny how that happens in those sort of instances so much more frequently than otherwise.
1: Well, I mean, you have people having near-death experiences, but you don't usually have people coming back and saying, oh, yeah, I'm also the Messiah, right? So I think he's a bit more unique in that aspect. Yeah, Yeah. sure. (laughs) So he is inspired, right? Being told he's inspired now, he has to use his science to redeem humanity. Those are his exact words. He says, now we have to take science to the world, redeem humanity. And he changes his name to Koresh. It's okay, guys. Jesus told me. (laughs) Right? Koresh being the Hebrew word for Cyrus. Okay. No relation to David Koresh. No relation to David Koresh. (laughs) I'm going to start calling Miley Cyrus Miley Koresh now. No, I'm not going to do that. No, don't bother with that. Anyway, so he... One of his big revelations is that uh, the world is hollow. Uh, But not in the typical sense, right? Because the whole hollow earth theory is kind of old at this point. Like, there are people who believe that the earth was hollow and we just live on, like, the shell and that there's holes and you can get inside the earth and, like, there's aliens in there or boogeyman of different kinds and there's a hole at either of the poles and all this stuff. He doesn't go with that. His idea is called Cellular Cosmology Cosmogony cos, I, don't, I don't... How do you pronounce this? Cosmogony? Cosmogony? Cell shit. Cell shit, right? So basically yeah. that the Earth is hollow uh, but that we all live on the inside of it. And that the ah, entire, of, yeah, the entirety of the what universe. A twist. Yeah, oh, sorry, But a twist! Yes, exactly. Right. So we all live on the inside, and the universe is essentially contained inside a big balloon. We're all in this big balloon, and we're walking around on the inside of a balloon. That's the easiest way to picture it. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah, like I, I don't really have any other, a better explanation than that. Right. The Earth is a big balloon. We're walking around on the inside, and all the air holding the balloon open is, like, the stars and the heavens and the sun and uh, whatever. Don't let that star get too close to the balloon! Shut <laughs> <laughs> No, of course. Like, and, of course, so he starts this whole religious movement called Koreshianity, named after himself the new messiah, of course, of course, of course, combining elements of reincarnation, immortality, uh, collectivism, uh, alchemy, and all this other stuff, and they do a lot of different things, but this is their, their main belief, right, that the earth is hollow, we're on the inside, the, I think this said something, that the sun is, uh, an electromagnetic engine, uh, flying around, and that the the stars are just uh, <laughs> reflecting discs that are out there. Like It starts to get really complicated really quickly.
0: Well, that's probably how he got the followers. He's just like, well, why don't you go disprove me then?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, they claim to have done several experiments that proved their theory, although <laughs> reading about it, it didn't really make any sense, and they just sort of said, "Yeah, we had this uh, device that uh, you know measured it." But uh, the, as far as I can tell, the device just doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know what it is, really.
0: Sure, um, <laughs> that's that's as concrete as I need to follow this guy.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, you're, you're sold, right? It's like, you, heard, yeah. you hear this, and like, of course, like, let's go, right? Let's, uh, yeah. let's sign up. Let's go and be part of his new Jerusalem.
0: Here's a blank check, sir. You write whatever number you feel you need.
1: Nah, but see, they weren't about checks either, right? Because they were a collective society. Uh, mm. Everyone sure just earned money, and they just put all their money into, like, one big pot, and, like, uh, no one really had any money. They sort of lived in sort of a... Uh, communist commune down in Florida. So he moves from New York to Florida <laughs> and starts a little, like, sort of collectivized commune. Nobody makes a salary. Everyone just works for the community. Of course. How silly of me. Yeah, uh, how silly of you. Yes, like, this is not motivated by money at all. No, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you, Totally on the level. Totally on the level. Absolutely. I would love to go and live in this community, wouldn't you? You first. Okay. (laughs) I'll take that You, It actually still exists, right? I guess, like, after uh, Koresh's death, uh, uh, his followers carried on for a bit. Well, once all his followers died, the last follower, who I guess was, like, sort of the owner of the the commune, uh, deeded it to Florida. And now it's, like, a historical site. So uh, Hmm. even if he... uh, didn't work his way into the science books. He sure worked his way into history.
0: Huh. I uh, I don't get any more on that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but the question I bet you're asking right now is, how did this influence Nazi experiments?
0: Well, I mean, that's the first question I have with pretty much
1: anything. Uh, r- r- really? <laughs> <laughs> you must lead a very unusual life. It's like, oh, I don't understand this thing. How does it influence Nazi science?
0: Yeah. Bananas on sale, but what does this have to do with Hitler? <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs>
1: how, do, how are you living? <laughs> it's very exhausting. I can imagine, I can imagine. Okay, well, it all starts with a World War I... Uh, aircraft pilot named Peter Bender. Uh, mm. Peter Bender is shot down, uh, put in a prisoner, prisoner of war camp. Uh, while there, he uh, comes across uh, a bunch of American magazines. And uh, he has nothing better to do. I mean, he's a prisoner of war, right? He's a prisoner. So he starts to read all of these American magazines. And uh, one of the magazines that was in this like random pile that they had to take part of. Is, uh, is called uh, Flaming Sword, which is put out by the Koreshians. And in it, they, uh, they explain their whole hollow earth theory, and Peter Bender thinks it's a great idea. He picks up on it. I mean, who wouldn't? No, nah, how has this eluded me so long? Exactly, right? It's like you'd think it would be common logic, like we could just, you know walk outside and say, hey, we're living inside a giant balloon. But I guess for Peter Bender, it took like that extra kick to read this magazine. What a dumbass. (laughs) It gave him a kick, so he came up with his own theory based on this, and he called it, uh, now my German is terrible, but Holwert Ehre, which is just hollow earth theory, and he just basically takes all of the messi- messianic stuff out of it. He takes all of the correction stuff out of it, and uh, he starts, you know, promoting this idea throughout Nazi Germany.
0: Okay, and they're prone to very logical ideas at the time, so should go well.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, like, when you uh, get rid of all your uh, Jewish scientists because they're too Jewish, then, uh, you know, whoever's left must be perfectly logical
0: yeah can't trust them oh this guy
1: thinks we live in a balloon come on in here son (laughs) well he he ended up with a lot of followers and uh i guess he got enough political will that he said you know let's uh let's test these theories and the first thing they said is let's test it with a rocket (laughs) right
0: because you want to go right to ballistics with this kind of shit
1: yeah, I know exactly, right? It's like if if you're capable of building a rocket, you're already doing quite a bit of science there. Just do a bit more, and you can probably get some better answers. But <laughs> I
0: <laughs> go go ahead.
1: <laughs> so anyway, the whole idea is that, of course, uh, you know, since we're inside a big round balloon, if you launch a rocket straight up. Uh, and just it just keeps going straight for long enough, it's going to smack into the other side of the Earth. I, I mean, I
0: guess in the scheme of what we're going with is true, that makes perfect sense.
1: Well, I mean, it certainly seems logical, right? It's like yeah. you're, you're inside a jo- dome, it's concave, uh, then like, so anything going straight up for long enough it will smack right into the other side of the Earth. In, Absolutely. In that scientific framework... It works, right? Uh, And they were all for going and testing this, right? I mean, I mean, you might as well. I mean, flat earthers believe that the Antarctic is a wall of ice, but you don't see them trying to climb over it. So, the if I could
0: jump in real quick on them, just for a moment, Mm -hmm. if you're so sick of everybody telling you you're idiots and you're wrong, you know how you could prove that you're right. Go walk to the end of the fucking earth and take a fucking selfie.
1: How come nobody's done it? Good question, right? Well, uh, they have claims that, uh, what is it, NATO or the United Nations has patrol boats Ah. that uh, shoot anyone who tries to do that.
0: (laughs) That's where they get you.
1: That's, yeah, you know, because of all the things NATO has to worry about, one of them is policing the Antarctic ice wall.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You cannot find out that this is a big Truman show.
1: (laughs) But, you know, actually, there has been a guy who's recently built rockets, uh, and he's launching them to prove Flat Earth. Isn't there? I read about this in the news recently.
0: Um, There was a guy a few months ago that, I don't remember if it's related or not, but it sounds dumb enough that he attached himself to a rocket and shot himself to prove... Uh, uh, landing on a rocket hurts, I, I don't remember, but <laughs> it,
1: that's the closest
0: thing that I can recall, it sounds about on point from the mindset.
1: Alright, well, at least, you know, some experimentation is going on, I mean, you got to follow the scientific method at some point if you're going to convince uh, yeah. people. Yeah, I, uh, there's something
0: to be admired in that. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but I, I just had to throw that in. <laughs>
1: All right, well, no, it makes sense, right? So Peter Bender, right, he's like, look, let's prove it. Let's launch a rocket straight up, and it's mm-hmm. going to impact the other side of the Earth. And, uh, you know, then that'll prove it. Um, how well do you think this went?
0: I'm assuming that at one point or another that rocket came back.
1: Uh, like back to Earth?
0: Well, I am i don't think that it went through the top of it, so... Um. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, you, you would be right. Uh, rocketry at that time was not the best, of course, right? Like even, uh, like this is back in 1933. So Hitler's just sort of taken over, like the Nazis are now in power, and they can fund whatever programs they want. They say, okay, let's launch this rocket. Let's see if it impacts. Uh, it went like, uh, what are the number here? Like maybe 100 meters or something like that, a few hundred meters, and crashed. Uh, it, it it didn't work, basically. So,
0: so not all the way across the world, though.
1: No, it it barely left the launch pad. I guess it sort of did one yeah. of those like jump and fall sort of things. But you can't really blame them because like it is like you know the early age of rocketry. Like even by the end of the. Second World War, they hadn't mastered it like they were Mm. shooting rockets at Britain that didn't really do much except get shot down or land in a field. The NATO bots keep intercepting them. (laughs) (laughs) NATO bots, of course, right? They're everywhere. (laughs) They protect the ice wall and they stop German rocketry. You know, you can't have the rocket landing on the other side of the Earth. Here's the thing that's really baffling me, though, right? So they're launching a rocket. The principle is that if it goes straight up, it's going to hit the opposite side of the planet, right? Mm-hmm. right, so does that mean that they had and and like nothing I've read explains this. does that mean that they had a bunch of Nazis on the other side of the planet, just like waiting around saying, "Where's this damn rocket it
0: yeah, and if you don't hear from them for a while, then it worked or <laughs> i I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but Why I, are we not blowing
1: up? <laughs> I mean, you, you have to have someone confirm the impact, right? Like, if the rocket goes straight up and there's nobody on the, the other side of the planet to confirm it, then what's Then the you
0: don't have something very conclusive, no. So I I suppose that's better. They were just waiting for some country on the other side of the world to send them a message like, what the fuck? <laughs>
1: Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I actually, I was curious about this. So I actually went and looked up uh, one of these Antipodes maps there where, where they tell you what's like on the opposite side of the world from you. And uh, like, it doesn't say where they launched the rocket from. I'm assuming somewhere in Germany. And uh, if you go to the opposite side of the map, you're essentially in the middle of the ocean uh, off of New Zealand, right? Like, it's ah. like there's nothing there. So, like, they'd have to have, like, Nazis floating around in boats, like, you know, looking for this rocket.
0: Yeah, like, boats that are shaped like little dart targets.
1: <laughs> it's like, we we scored a hit. There we go. Yeah. It's like, and even that, right, you know, you'd have to expect that they knew rockets weren't accurate then, or weren't very accurate, at least, right? So they must have said, okay, we have to have, like, a general area covered. I, yeah, they're not that pinpoint now. Yeah, ex- well, yeah, exactly, right? It's like, uh, y- there's a big general area it could have fallen into. It's like if It seems like a huge waste of time for all the people involved. But it, it doesn't yes. explain, you know, how they were going to verify that this rocket hit. Maybe they just wanted to see if the rocket would fly at all, and it didn't, so. <laughs> anyway. Knowing or believing, you know, that the Earth was hollow and that we're all walking around on the inside, what do you think would be the admitted advantage to in a military society of being in this big balloon world? Uh, Jetpacks. Jetpacks? In what sense? I don't know, but <laughs> it's
0: a dome so they could go up like the rocket that works so well.
1: Oh, like so they could travel to the other side of the world like on a jetpack? Yeah, they just like Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Sure. Uh-huh. So it would be like instead of like tunneling through the world, you're just cutting across yeah. the atmosphere.
0: Or you get like a really really good trampoline and then you just like Superman across. This,
1: this is actually something I hadn't considered as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really, uh, well, yeah, actually, I, I wonder if they tried it. I didn't read anything about them trying experiments like that, but that would, you know, <laughs> kind of make sense, right? If, like, uh, because people have talked, like, in science fiction, they've talked about the whole idea of, like, you know, drill a hole through the center of yeah. the earth and just pop out on the other side uh, would be much right. faster than going around. So I guess if, if that's in reverse, you just shoot straight up until you're on the other side of the earth. Duh, duh, yeah. It's yeah. well, geez, it's as logic as the whole <laughs> logical as the whole Hollow Earth theory to begin with. I mean, I don't know why I didn't see it before. These
0: tunneling losers, and I'm just like you know the Rocketeer. Yeah. Oh.
1: All right. Well, that's not actually what occurred to them. Their idea was that <laughs> <laughs> their idea was that you know this is perfect to uh, spy. Mm -hmm. because if you think about it, right, like, if you wanted to spy on another country, you don't have to, like, because, of course, like, in the whole conventional Earth model, the curvature of the Earth, you can't see over it or anything like that, so if you want to spy on another country, you just have to uh, take a really strong telescope, point it upwards at some sort of angle, (laughs) and then you can see everything that some other guy is doing naturally. <laughs> so this is what came into effect, right? The, the the next experiment was they said, we're going to go to this place called Rügen Island, which is like in the Baltic Sea. We're going to set up a really high-powered telescope, an infrared telescope, uh, and we're going to point it at 45 degrees, and then we're just going to uh, watch everything that the British naval fleet is doing.
0: Just... Just watch the whole thing at once, sure.
1: Yeah, exactly, right? Because the way it works is like, you're pointing your telescope up, but you're looking over the inside concave curvature of the Earth so that you can see what the British are doing.
0: That's a really good telescope.
1: Well, (laughs) this this makes sense in their whole world theory, right? Like, it's like, if the cosmos are just sort of an illusion, and the sun is just some big electromagnetic battery <laughs> flying around. It's like, just look through all that stuff. The, the trick was, the, and they, here's where the, the thing that baffles me the most, because they actually put some science into this. They said, OK, look, uh, the atmosphere causes too much refraction. So we'll use infrared technology to photograph what the British are doing, because we have this infrared equipment And uh, infrared light isn't warped by the atmosphere. We can see everything they're doing. We can know what the British are thinking. We will have absolute uh, tactical intelligence superiority.
0: Meanwhile, you got this officer sneaking over to the telescope on the side. And they're like, Franz, stop trying to look up skirts!
1: (laughs) Well, actually... Uh, he could probably look down people's tops or something like that.
0: Oh, right. I, I, I got the science <laughs> on that one backwards. That, that's
1: embarrassing. Well, oh, yes, of course. We have to be scientific about this. Let's be logical. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, if you're going to be pointing your telescope up to spy on people, you're going to be looking down their shirts.
0: All right.
1: Come on. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. Yeah, where's your, where's your scientific, uh, you know, modicum here? Come on. Yeah,
0: I'm just, I'm not up to par with these guys that can't fire a rocket 100 meters, but think they can take <laughs> infrared pictures of an entire colony uh, across the
1: fucking world. So how successful do you think they were?
0: I bet it worked great, and those pictures were just, like, 1080p.
1: Oh, absolutely. Complete high-definition uh, views of stars. <laughs> Absolutely nothing worked. Of course it didn't work. We know it didn't work. Uh, It was interesting. I was reading this excerpt from Popular Astronomy, a very old one, and they were talking about German astronomy during the war. Uh, Lots of detail here saying basically that they brought in an infrared expert, was sent out to Berlin to the Isle of Rügen to photograph the British fleet with infrared equipment at an upward angle of some 45 degrees. Then it gives this little footnote. The experiment did not work.
0: Well, I'm glad they cleared that up for us. <laughs>
1: yes, I'm very glad. Uh, it's rather funny to see that. Like, I guess as a scientific journal, they were a little bit serious about it, but the experiment did not work. That's a great conclusion to come to. I, I had my fingers crossed. You know, I was hoping we'd be able to do that.
0: Yeah, the suspense, too. I'm just glad they didn't leave the
1: readers hanging. Oh, Absolutely. Well, yes, I mean, after that description of infrared equipment. The thing that, again, right, it's so baffling, right? It's like, like I said before, like, they built a rocket. Now here they're talking about infrared imaging. Like, Nazi scientists have developed infrared imaging. You're already doing some science. Do a little (laughs) bit more, and you're there. You'll know that this is a silly idea. You would think, yeah,
0: because... Clearly, they're coming up with viable technologies or at least improving on them. You would think once they got to the point of going out to an island and trying to overlook Britain, somebody would be like, this is stupid. But, I mean, I guess not.
1: Well, I mean, like, yeah, you would hope so, right? You would hope. It's like we've got all these scientists working on this stuff. Someone at some point, you would think, would say, like, look, this is ridiculous, right? We could do experiments that would show, like, we, we don't even have to try going ahead and spying on the British to start. We just need to, yeah, you know. Let's go take a picture of a bunny and see if that works. <laughs> <laughs> or see if the bunny can get further than one of our rockets. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I guess it's important
0: to remember that uh, in that time frame in Germany, dissent was something that you were kind of careful to express.
1: Well, oh, absolutely. Like, I'm sure there was that element to it as well. But at the same time, I mean, you've got this Peter Bender who was putting forward a very fringe sort of theory, and getting, like, a lot of impetus behind it to get people to just sort of do experiments on it. It's it's a strange contradiction in a way.
0: It would have been interesting if you threw stuff in there just to fuck with them be
1: like, I bet you can see Britain if you punch yourself in the dick. <laughs> well, I wonder if they would have tried it. I mean, like, Nazi Germany uh, is well known for having, like, all those little you know, occult aspects, right? Those people who were researching the occult, like right. they had the whole idea with the 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 pendulum finders. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, right where they they hold a pendulum over the map and the pendulum is supposed to tell them where you can find certain things. And people would use it to find gold. Uh but you know said so they said, "Hey, let's see if we can use it to find British ships or something like that."
0: So there was
1: they were playing battleship basically. Yeah. In a way, yeah, right? But, like, with these occult things. Like, the same way, like, people would use, you know, pendulums as, like, water diviners to find water or gold or something like that. They said, can you use it to find the enemy, right? Can you use it to spy, basically? And, like, apparently Hitler had a lot of literature on the occult, on the esoteric, on the weird, on the strange. Uh, You know, how much he believed in it, who knows? But, like, he certainly read about it a lot. And, uh... You know, like, this is just one of those other things, I guess, that snuck its way in.
0: Very interesting people, and that is not a compliment.
1: <laughs> what do you think happened to Peter Bender?
0: Um, I think once they found out he was full of shit, they weren't very nice to him.
1: They weren't, indeed, right? It's like, after the whole Rügen Island experiment, where they tried to spy on the British, Uh, he was sent off to a concentration camp, along with his wife and several of his followers. (laughs) His followers? Yeah, he had followers, right? Like, he sort of became the uh, Koresh of Germany. Like, he didn't have the whole messianic aspect, right? But, like, he was broadcasting like this, like, in the same way that, like, Flat Earth Theory has followers now, he had Hollow Earth followers, in Germany. Yeah,
0: but but what's the logic behind sending them off to the camp? The Germans are like, "We will punish you for being as dumb as him." Why do I sound French? <laughs> and then the weren't the followers like? Weren't you guys
1: performing experiments by this guy? Why aren't you going in here? Who knows, right? Like I can't. Yeah. I like if you want me to try and analyze the logic of the Third Reich. Well, yeah. <laughs> I I can try. <laughs> Plenty of people have given that one a go. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like I don't know. Rügen Island, actually, like where they did this experiment, is a whole other ball of wax. I mean, it was supposedly like um, you know some center of occult a, a beliefs and things like that, and like there was all kinds of special stuff that the Germans believed about Rügen Island, or occultists believed about Rügen Island, and. Uh, I've read that supposedly it was the place where the Germans were working on their own atomic bomb. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sure. I, 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 a lot of this is like conjecture and like, you know, internet conspiracy theory, theory <laughs> stuff, like maybe something for another episode if we ever do one.
0: <laughs> Judging by how their last rocket went, I think for their sake, it's good. They never tried to, um, mess with an atomic bomb.
1: Well, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, at least that one you're loaded into a plane in theory, not trying to shoot off the ground, but still.
1: Well, yeah, and I think they'd need more than a few hundred meters of safety distance. E- that's what I've been told, yes. Definitely, definitely. So <laughs> what have we learned from this? Um, I think my
0: big takeaway here... Is that I need to go build a really sweet ass trampoline and get my ass over to Britain?
1: Would that work though? <laughs> uh, you'd have to put that trampoline on a pretty extreme angle. I mean, you're always going to be a downer with this stuff. Um... <laughs> Come on. We have to think scientifically, right? We're talking about the uh, hollow earth. Let's think scientifically, right? Like, well, if you jumped on a trampoline and went straight up, you would end up wherever opposite you on the world is. Right.
0: I I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess... These guys, they ruined a lot of things for me, like my plan to see all the upskirts of the world at once using a telescope from a remote German island. Um, But... I think what we learn from them is that the whole Earth in a balloon thing's probably not legit. Mm. Yeah, I would I would agree with you there. And if you're gonna fuck up science stuff, don't do it in Nazi Germany.
1: <laughs> you might end up in a concentration camp. Most definitely.
0: I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of things I would recommend doing in Nazi Germany to expand on that, but science seems like a real swing and a miss. So, Sock, Uh I know it's not the great pastime over where you are, but how familiar are you with the game of baseball?
1: I actually love baseball. Uh, I used to watch it a lot. I used to be a big Blue Jays fan.
0: And then the strike happened, and yeah. you and everybody else Pieced out pretty much. Uh,
1: oh, I wouldn't cuts. say that. I mean, like there's not really much opportunity over here in Europe to follow baseball. Uh, like sometimes they put it on the sports channels, but like, you know, it's not something I really have time for anymore.
0: Right. Well, that's one of its issues over here is that mm-hmm. nobody has time for it anymore because all the games are about five hours at this point. Mm-hmm. Um Back in the day, before everything had a sponsorship or a commercial or whatever, that was not the case. Um, I'd like to talk about something back around that era. The infamous here, unknown to you, I assume, ten cent baseball night.
1: Ten cent baseball night. So, what is it like? Ten cents for a ticket? Ten
0: cent beer night was what I
1: meant to say. Should we oh, start ten over? ten ten cent beer night. Oh, I know. <laughs> 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 Okay, well, actually, that sounds like it would be a good promotion, though. Like, say, hey, yeah. one night only, yeah. 10 cents a ticket. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Or, bring a dime, get a ball. Yeah, there, there we go. But, uh, 10 cents for beer? Uh, 10 sound, cent- beer, I guess. sounds like a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah. Um, leading up to it, May 29th, 1974, the Rangers the Texas Rangers and the Cleveland Indians played a game in Texas, finishing up a series. The Rangers won three to nothing. Uh, bit of a chippy game. The most noteworthy part of it came in the eighth inning when uh, Ranger player, Lenny Randall was thrown behind while he was at bat. His response to that was he laid down a bunt for the pitcher for them to come field it. And mm-hmm. so when the pitcher ran
1: forward to field it, Randall ran up and punched him in the face. So he's he's bunting the ball, so that the pitcher will run in to field it, and he runs up and punches the pitcher.
0: Yeah, the pitcher initially, a uh, couple of pitches before that, he threw behind him, which is a pretty obvious intent that he was trying to hit him with it. Which trying to
1: bean him, basically.
0: Yes. So that pissed Randall off, so he put a bunt down an area where the pitcher supposed to be the one to get it. And then when he came and got it, Randall clocked him in the jaw.
1: <laughs> so that's where we start. Okay. Baseball is not normally a sport I associate with this kind of violence. And usually
0: not. Um, particularly in that sense where they're kind of baiting them into it. Um, <laughs> uh, I remember one of my favorite pitchers years ago, and this was a spring training game, so the game didn't even matter. Uh, guy hit a home run off of him and was kind of pimping it around the bases. And while he's coming around third, the pitcher just ran over and just uppercutted him while he was running home. <laughs> and and again, that was a spring training game, so it didn't even matter. Right. Uh, um, as for this... This led to a bench clearing brawl, of course, with Rangers fans throwing beer, food, whatever else they had on hand Mm -hmm. into the crowd, into the brawl, trying to hit the Indians players. Indians at the time pretty much sucked. They were not drawing a lot of fans. They weren't a good team. Um, The Rangers were going to Cleveland for a series in about a week. Ranger manager Billy Martin was asked if he expected retaliation in Cleveland and he said no citing that there won't be enough fans there. <laughs> so we go on to June 4, 1974. That is 10 cent beer night or 10 cent baseball night as I have coined it today. So
1: I, I'm not sure but like you know how much would that be considering inflation? Because uh, ten cents is pretty cheap. It it, it like, do we know what right. it would be in modern terms? This is nineteen seventy three. You said right,
0: right. What I can give you that I didn't pick up, but I did have typical prices at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, typically a beer at the game would cost you sixty five cents. So you're basically getting a six pack and a couple cents back for. But you were normally, um,
1: boy, fuck that sense up. But um, they used to be 65 cents, and they were 10 cents this time. All right. So basically, like, let's say one-sixth of the price. I think the last time I bought a beer at a baseball game was, like, 2014 uh, in my last trip to Toronto, and I think I paid, like, $10 for a beer. That
0: sounds about right. If you go to, like, Fenway, one of the parks like that, you're... Looking at probably around twelve, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of the discrepancy there. But yeah, we're we're looking at about one sixth the price for one this night.
1: So we could say maybe like, oh, I don't know, one dollar and seventy five cents or something like that. I'm I'm not a math guy. Whatever. It's cheap. It's clearly cheap.
0: Yeah, yeah, and to. Mm-hmm give an idea of where priorities were at the time that beer was 65 cents. A ticket was 50. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's where that was at. Yeah. Um, so we're at June 4, 1974. This is again, the first game was may twenty-nine. So now a lot of separation here. Mm-hmm. We got two teams that just had that pretty ugly brawl, two fan bases that don't like each other, and a manager that was just talking shit about the home crowd, saying that they're not going to show up. So, mm-hmm. obviously, fuck it. Let's give everybody a bunch of cheap beer. What could go wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, there was one of the bigger sports radio guys in cleveland at the time that was the whole week leading up to it since martin said that calling for vengeance and asking people to show up as well so everything's lining up for a very fun family-friendly night oh sounds like it yeah um i'm hopefully gonna get this name right anthony Castrovince of mlb.com wrote uh, a couple years ago that the game about to occur was only one of five forfeits since 1954, but the only one known to include nudists exploding firecrackers, literal stolen bases, and an organist playing take me out to the ball game while there was a riot going on.
1: (laughs) Okay. Sounds like quite a party already.
0: Yes. and there was uh, never a dull moment here. The $0.10, cents, you could get up to six beers at a time. That was the limit that they would let you buy at once. Mm-hmm. But there weren't, like, drink tickets or anything like that. So that wasn't all you could get for the night. That was just all that you could hold at one time. So, so you went you to the would concession
1: have... stand and, like, you would buy six beers at once, but you could come back five, minute late, five minutes later and buy six more.
0: Yeah, you could walk over to the trash can that's uh, 10 feet away and just guzzle them, get back in line. Mm-hmm. They're like, were you just here? And just like, no. Mm-hmm. They'll give you six more. Okay. So, um, so these people were pretty much bombed before the game started.
1: Well, you could be trashed out of your tree for $2. And it's
0: interesting you pick that number because one person – quoted from that game that was kind of a famous person that was there um ended up being nbc newscaster tim russer he stated again going to that number i went with two dollars in my pocket you do the math <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah everybody is getting this shit water down as fast as they can to get their buzz on before the game starts um they're understaffed for this because they didn't anticipate the turnout for God knows what reason. Mm-hmm. But but by the third inning, there was one beer truck being run by two young ladies that a group decided wasn't dispensing beer quickly enough. So they threw a table at it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the girls who I would imagine were making the minimum wage equivalent at the time, you know, Looked at a bunch of drunks throwing the table at them, said, fuck this shit. And they left, not bothering to secure the truck when they did so. Mm -hmm. So patrons filled empty beer cups, whatever containers they could find in the truck, whatever. They helped themselves just started pounding that thing till it was dry some decide to take one of the taps and just break the end off of it and take turns holding their faces under it and just letting it pour into their mouths. Mm -hmm. Anyone go as far as doing a keg stand? I would imagine that somebody must have tried. I mean, they, they were legit, like, taking cardboard boxes and, like, filling them with beer and dumping them down their throats, which... If that's a good enough receptacle for you, then you're not really looking to savor it. (laughs) Um, So in the fourth inning, the next inning, Tom Greve for the Rangers, he hit a home run and was rounding the bases as one does when they hit a home run, just doing his little trot when a naked fan came flying into second base behind him and slid into it to steal it. Mm -hmm. In the fifth inning, a father and son duo rushed the field
1: and decided to moon the entire crowd. Now, the thing is, from the baseball games I've seen, incidents like this aren't uncommon, though, right? For someone to go streaking on the field or to slide into one of the bases.
0: For it to happen at a game's not unheard of, for it to be happening, like, twice an inning, is kind of a different animal. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, um, there's also some other ones in here. There was a woman that came down and asked the home plate umpire for a kiss, to which he politely declined. Okay. In in the outfield, there were guys jumping over the fence, on and off all the time into the outfield. And they were just going up to the Ranger outfielders and shaking their hands and then like going back to their seats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, there wasn't a dull moment here. It really didn't completely go to shit until the ninth inning. Surprisingly, you,
1: you would think with all those people jumping on the field though, that they might say, Hey, let's get the security into better sorts. You, you would think
0: they were understaffed, it seems, just because typically you have enough guys there to handle some drunk asshole every now and then. You're going to have a few of them, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of hard to anticipate a constant wave of drunks jumping over the fence like fucking Dead Rising or something. Mm-hmm. So... um I'm surprised that it got to the ninth without them calling the game for that reason, mm-hmm. but it did. Um, and that's when everything really went to hell. Uh, fan jumped the fence as they've been doing the whole game, but this guy went a little differently. He went after Rangers outfielder, Jeff Burroughs. When asked about it later, he's been interviewed by ESPN several times as recently as a couple years ago. Um, He got asked about why he did it later and explained, I wanted his hat.
1: (laughs) Of all the things, I just wanted his hat. It's like, it looked nice. I said, I wanted it. Yep. That that was his motivation.
0: And he was successful in getting it. But he then dropped it because he was hammered. As he reached down for it, Burroughs gave him a good old kick in the gut. Mm Mm-hmm. And he himself stumbled in the act. This is where it all goes to hell. Shitface Indians fans see a Texas Ranger player kicking one of their fellow drunks in the stands, whereas the Rangers' dugout, which is obviously far away from the outfield, they see their star outfielder falling down, so they assume that he was attacked as well and didn't just slip or. You a banana peel or whatever the hell happened.
1: hmm hmm
0: So manager Billy Martin, he sees a bunch of Indians fans start rushing the field and starting to corner his outfielder. And he's like, my dude, going to die. So he grabs a bat and instructs all his players on the bench to do the same. And so out come all the Rangers players from the dugout, all wielding baseball bats. Oh, boy. Uh, one player would describe later that when Martin came back his was snapped in half Uh, so they're running out there the Indians crowd they see a bunch of guys with baseball bats going after their boys so more of them jump on the field the announcer says here comes another bunch of morons at this point during the brawl the organist I guess they're feeling left out, but they decide to start playing Take Me Out to the Ball Game.
1: (laughs) Maybe it was their faint hope that everyone would just sit back and sing instead of rioting. Yeah,
0: they all just look around and then just lock arms and start swaying back and forth. Mm -hmm. The home plate umpire at this point Um, after getting drilled in the head with a chair and realizing all the bases had been stolen anyway, Mm -hmm. ended the game in a forfeit. Mm -hmm. The Indians players initially went out there to try to help the Rangers players and get them back to their dugout without getting killed by these fans. By the end of it, they were fighting for their own lives as well because the fans were so shit house. they were just swinging at whatever was in front of them they didn't care if it was their own team or not they eventually get a barricade and manage to kind of wall the rangers down their tunnel and out the back of the stadium and escape
1: mm-hmm. um, lucky for that man-
0: yeah um manager Martin, He stated it was the closest he's ever seen to somebody getting killed in his 25 years of baseball. I hope no one was killed. Uh, No, there actually was only a couple of arrests because I guess it was just so many people there. Like, I don't feel like doing this, Mm -hmm. but there was only (laughs) like dozen arrests or so. And you got to figure if you're one of the guys that gets arrested in these thousands of people doing this, you got to be looking at the cop like, come on. Yeah. But, sure. but in any event, uh, the Rangers have been successfully escorted out. There's still about 20 teenagers or so that are on top of the Rangers dugout, screaming for them to come out when a reporter asks them, what the hell are you doing? And they tell them, and he's like, the Rangers are gone, dude, and
1: so they beat the shit out of him. Um. <laughs> so, so many logical things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like the sequence of logical events. It's like first you tell me about like the women who aren't serving beer fast enough, so a table is thrown at them. It's like, yo, of course, you know, whenever I get bad service, I immediately resort to throwing furniture. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how you get somebody on your side. You throw a
1: table at them. Yeah, no. and now it's like, hey, we want to harass the baseball team. They're gone. Well, then let's beat the crap out of you. <laughs> yeah. whatever. Whatever's in front of
0: me was kind of the M.O. of the night at that point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and Rangers first baseman Mike Cargrove said he had a minimum of 15 to 20 pounds of hot dogs thrown at him that night. But... He didn't realize it was about, yes, 15 to 20 pounds of hot dogs. Uh Uh-huh. And said he didn't realize it was about to get serious until somebody threw an empty gallon jug of Thunderbird at him. What's Thunderbird? It's, I don't know what equivalent you would have over there. You certainly have
1: some kind, like,
0: the bottom-shelf shit-tier wine that, like street alcohol spy just to get hammered oh okay
1: it, okay okay so basically like rot
0: gut wine yeah just the bottom shelf garbage that you're doing bang for buck okay and so somebody threw an empty gallon jug of it at him and that's that's when he was like i think some shit's about to go down
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so they're the wreckage from this like people are just snapping chairs and throwing them. So the stadium, all the chairs are fucked up and, um, Cleveland, they realized the error of their ways after this promotion and they did not have another 10 cent beer night until one month later. They had another one. One month later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Security was heavily fortified and get this concept. Drink tickets were handed out. As, so they did uh,
1: learn something.
0: Yes, as opposed to expecting a bunch of drunks to use the honor system. And, you know, when you ask them if they've already had 12, they're just like, no, they they actually use tickets, which is how you're supposed to do this sort of mm-hmm. thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that promotion was actually successful. Imagine that. Mm hmm. So, that is the infamous 10-cent beer night for you. And what have we learned from this? Don't give people alcohol for
1: free in unlimited quantities and expect them to behave. That should be a lesson they already knew the answer to. You you would think... Like, I've um, seen but... the way people react to baseball games. I've seen people go into a frenzy... Just to catch the foul balls, like they will climb and clamber over each other, over a ball that's been hit astray, and I'm only imagining how those people would react if you filled them up with unlimited amounts of alcohol. Right. And uh, like I don't. Do I need to describe any more? I don't think so. No, you gotta keep in
0: mind pre-gaming is a thing
1: a lot of these people have been drinking
0: before the game started Mm -hmm. so you got them half lit coming in and then you're giving them at a baseball game alcohol for cheaper than they could go get it at the store i would imagine or at least equivalent at the
1: time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i wouldn't want to be the person the next day who would have to clean that up. Not because of like the destroyed seats and everything, but I'm just imagining the amount of vomit that would be around. Yeah,
0: yeah I wouldn't want to go near those stalls for any amount of money.
1: Well, assuming they even made it there.
0: Uh, well, it might not have even been a matter of if they could or not, just kind of a desire thing. Where, it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, probably a lot of feces and vomit, I would think. Ooh, let's stop there. (laughs) Yeah, on on that uplifting note.
1: Did did they ever have another incident similar to that one? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, there have been a handful
0: of really heavily discounted beer nights around that time period. That actually wasn't the cheapest one. There have been some five-cent nights as well, but again... Tickets,
1: mm-hmm.
0: keeping track of it a little bit. Yeah. That that seems to be our key here because when you go up and you grab six, of course it's reasonable to expect that. You're going to think to yourself, I'm not going to need more than this. But mm-hmm. once you've smashed four of them and you're looking down like, oh, shit, I only have two left. I better get in line. Mm-hmm. And it just was not calculated for well. It's something that Cleveland being Cleveland isn't really a black mark on them at this point. It's kind of something that they wear as a symbol of pride.
1: Mm. That as uh, okay. (laughs) It's not. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, I, if you're going to be proud of something, why not that? I guess. You will
0: see at games there to this day, people wearing 10 cent beer night shirts just for giggles.
1: Well, Yeah. I guess if you're going to be proud of something, choose something from history. (laughs) That's one way to put it. Um, So, that is about
0: what I have for you today.
1: All right, Biscuit. How about we leave it there for the day? Thanks, everyone, for listening to our first inaugural podcast, the pilot episode, if you will. Did you have anything you wanted to plug, Biscuit?
0: just really ourselves if you're listening tell somebody else to and give us an incentive to keep doing this because we like sharing the stories with you and hope you like hearing them
1: we've got lots of different ideas that we hope to explore in the future we're also open to suggestions you can hit us up on twist uh twister twitter you can hit us up on twitter at Titty twister <laughs> at big bad nonsense. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, Biscuit, we have a Twitter. Uh, I, I knew that. You, yes, you knew that, right. I hadn't actually told you that yet, but you knew it because you spied on me with your telescope <laughs> pointed at a 45 degree angle to make sure. That, uh, you know, I'm not cheating you out of anything. Hit us up on Twitter at BigBadNonsense. Let us know if you have any suggestions for future shows or if there's something in particular you'd like to hear of or just to hear us talk, anything like that. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening and have a good day. Bye.